Acts the 17th chapter beginning with verse number 22. Through verse 31. Acts the 17th chapter. Verses 22 through 31. I still hear a few pages. Acts the 17th chapter, verses 22 through 31. You'll find these words there. So Paul standing in the middle of the Areopagus said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all men life and breath and everything. He made from one very nation of men to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their habitation that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel after him and find him. Yet, he is not far from each one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being, even as some of your poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, a representation by art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere But now he commands all men everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all men by raising him from the dead. And if I were going to try to put a subject on this, I just want you to think along these lines with me this morning. He has been there all along. He has been there all along. When I was informed that I have to preach and I thought about something that Miss Harper talks about a lot that goes on at choir rehearsal. She mentioned this a lot of times on Wednesdays when she shows up at prayer meeting that you got to rehearsing so good that the spirit got into choir members, not on Sunday while everybody was here, but at the choir rehearsal. And unless you're a preacher, you don't understand that. I think the worst thing in the world as a preacher that you can do is know in advance that you're going to preach. 
because I don't understand how a pastor does it twice a Sunday, as many Sundays as he does, because while you're preparing, you'll find yourself awakened in the middle of the night each and every time, up until the time that you preach, God giving you something else, and you, like they rehearse and go over, you find yourself going over your message in your mind. And for the last two days, one day I woke up at 5.30. This morning I woke up at 4.30, but it's all right. And I think no matter how long, he was saying about the 31 years, no matter how long you are in the church, you can always find something new. And I think about when... Uh, I had a Bible that uh, my third grade Sunday school teacher, which was Miss Dolores Phillips, that gave me. She gave me the Bible strictly based on the fact that I could recite the books of the Bible. But in the third grade, that's all it was, was recitation. I knew what it was. I knew which one followed each other, but I didn't know what was in each one of them. But now, 31 years later, it's a different story. And just to say that you can find out something new. All this time that I had been reciting the Bible and uh, people just referred to Acts, you know the correct title of that book is entitled The Acts of the Apostle. And I think we need to know that today, that once they got the message, they got busy. Throughout Acts, you will find that everyone in there was doing something. And I think maybe we might have the wrong approach when we bring people in. And a lot of times when they stand up, when they get finished, they sit down. Maybe we ought not let them sit down because once they sit down, after we take them in, a lot of them, that's where they stay. And hopefully in the message today is to, is to the Christian to know that after we say, that's not the end of it. We got some things that we need to do to the unsaved. You need to know that he's been waiting for you. Anything that you went through, he already knew about it. But we just want you to just look at this passage of scripture and see some of the things that uh, Paul took care of here. When I read it and I seen there was so much information, I started to uh, uh, ask uh, Reverend Ingram, could they just take up the love offering and give it to him next week and let me preach two weeks in a row? <laughs> but it's a lot of uh, information that, you know, I thank God, you know, he covers. Paul covers a lot of information in a, in a short amount of period with these verses, letting us know that each one of our our destinies has already been, you know, pre-approved by God. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to extend beyond that. Uh, he made sure that, you know, that we knew that, you know, God is the one and only creator. So just looking at these things, we just need to, uh, as we go through the message, just think about how this applies to me, not nobody else. And then first of all, you know, with Paul, I know everybody is saying, of course he went to work, God knocked him down, he got blind, he got his sight back. So, of course he was going to do something, but uh, I know God has done something for everybody in here. You might not think it, but, you know, if, you, if you're here today, he done something for you. The first point that I would like to make is that the early Christians... They went right to work. We find that once that they had received the Holy Spirit, it tells us earlier in Acts that, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers, praying God and having favor with all the people in the Lord. Added to the church daily, such as should be received. And like I said, that might be our first problem is when we get started, we think it's the end once we sit down, but that's just the beginning of our journey 
for the Lord. And then I know we have a lot of people, but it might be the reason that we're not growing the way that we should because we want to put a time limit on when we can serve God, what we want to do for him. But these Christians went to work in some terrible situations, nothing like what we are compared with today. Almost everywhere they went, they were told not to say anything. But they refused every time they were uh, approached about not saying anything. They quickly informed whoever informed them that, you know, I don't get my instructions from you. I get my instructions from God, and I'm going to keep telling it. And I'm wondering today, are we still telling the message? Or are we content with the fact that we've been saved and we're on our way to glory and we have our mansion in the sky and uh, long as me and mine is saved, I don't have to worry about nobody else. That's their business. But according to the word, it uh, informed us in Matthew 9, 37 and 38, then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. And we don't have to look very far, you know, to see that that, that is still few when you have a young lady uh, standing up pleading with individuals to join the missionaries. Do you know actually that we all are missionaries? We all have an obligation to walk worthy of the vocation from which we have been called. And the vocation that we all have been called to is Christian. And when you look around and you see all the work that's left undone, you can just think about this passage of scripture here when Paul was informing the people and in the spot that he went to, it was the main spot. He wasn't, you know, trying to meet them in no back room. He went where they were at to tell them about the God that he was serving. And we just need to make sure that we are not uh, perceived to be religious. Now, see, you can proceed to be a religious if you show up every Sunday. Uh, you can proceed to be religious if uh, on cue, you know when to say amen. You know when to say hallelujah. Everybody knows uh, some Christian song that they can jump up and sing on. But it is more to it than that. I would like to equate our Christian walk, which Paul was telling these people, don't, you know, don't pretend to be religious. Let me see your work showing that you're religious. I would like to equate our religion as a job. When I worked, the winter and the summer were our busiest times. In the wintertime, because it was cold, we were compelled to work overtime. In the summer, when it's hot like this, once it cooled off, the same reaction that happened in the wintertime would happen in the summer. It would be so hot, then when it got cool, water mains would break. They would compel us to work overtime. I want you to know, you coming here on Sunday is just to get your praise on, just to get your weekly dosage to make it through the week. But I want to know how many Christians are willing to put in some overtime for God. The sister needs missionaries. That's an overtime job. You already saved. Don't nobody leave here saying I said you wasn't saved because you ain't doing nothing. I didn't say that. But who is willing to put in some overtime for God? It's 52 weeks in the year, and prayer meeting is every Wednesday. Who's willing to put in some overtime to show up one week? 
We look at the male chorus and we look at all the men that we had singing on Father's Day. Who's willing to put in some overtime and sing with the male chorus? You're already saved. We're not doubting your salvation. But what extra are you willing to do for God? I mean, even if you're shouting all over the church and not doing nothing else, you perceiving to be religious. How many times have you been to the hospital to see somebody sick? And you can say what you want because uh, I didn't like going to the hospital. My grandmother, which I love dearly, was in a wreck on Columbia Parkway. She was in the hospital seven, almost eight months. The week before she came home, my mother made me go so my grandmother could say that I did not show up. But now when you go to the hospital, it's an altogether different experience because it lets you see just how good God is to you. You know, it's a blessing to go to the hospital and visit somebody and not be in the hospital. And then you'd be surprised at some of the things that people have to say to you when you're in the hospital. Uh, I had a man, uh, Brother Remus Smith, that just passed. This, this last time I seen him, he was not able to communicate. But the time before that, when I went to see him, he started crying. And I was like, what's wrong, Mr. Smith? He said, I can't believe you came to see me. See, that's because the church is not doing what they're supposed to do. He was shocked that a Christian came to see him when that's what Christians are supposed to do anyway. But if we're doing what we're supposed to do, it won't be shocking. See, if you go see some individuals, you'll find out the little bitty problems that you think you have. I went to see a young man uh, recently, and he said to himself, he was saying, I'm thinking about calling in hospice because I'm tired. Now, see, that's been being sick. You know, he's sick of being tired. You know, he's sick to the point that I would rather leave here than keep going through what I'm going through. Now, see, if you're walking around every day with your, you know, little bitty aches and pains, maybe a headache, that's the biggest problem that you got, then you ought not have no problem going to the hospital to visit somebody that's sick. And then you're not doing it uh, to be noticed, you're not doing it for, but you're doing it because you are grateful for what God has done in your life. And like I said, you can come up with all kinds of excuses not to go. Like myself, uh, my mother had surgery in Good Samaritan Hospital. I took her to chemotherapy at Christ Hospital. I could sit down and say I'm not going to them hospitals because of what it reminds me of. But I overlook that, and I see the need that is there. Sometimes we have to put God first in everything that we're doing. And see, when you know that he has made everything, and even if you have not accepted him, the simple fact that he says in those verses that he has even given us our breath. <laughs> so even if you have not accepted him, he's still doing his part. He's been there all along. And then they made mention of the, uh, of the incident that happened at the show. You think how many times you've been to this show then add in the times that you've been to the show with somebody you weren't supposed to be with. And you still made it, and you're here today. You need to just thank him. I mean, I know that don't apply to nobody in here. That was just a, I just threw that in here. I just threw that in there. That don't apply to none of us. But 
truly, like I said, we take simple things for granted that they have to be. If you had a child, a grandchild, that catches the bus to and from school, and you look on the news and see about somebody's child got hit by the school bus, that is reason enough for you to do something and be thankful to God. The other thing that I think we want to get from these scriptures is that when you see where Paul was at, he was in enemy territory. And early Christians went into enemy strongholds all the time. They didn't have a problem going where they weren't welcome at. Joshua, he had to inform the people when he knew it was time for him to go. He made the declaration that if it seemed evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, when you think about that, and you think about where all Paul went, and Paul gives his uh, autobiography, tales of the stripes, you know, the, the whippings that he took, shipwreck, bit by a snake, went to jail. None of that has happened to us. Some of our strongholds are right in our house. If you're a parent and you get up every Sunday and walk by your child laying in their room and you knock on their door and they say they don't want to go and that's the end of the conversation, then to me, you're not going in the enemy stronghold. Now, I ain't trying to cause no friction in nobody's house. But if you pass your husband or your significant other every Sunday while you're on your way to church and they sitting up with their legs crossed talking about they're going to wash the car. They going everywhere else. But can't make it to church with you. To me, you avoid an enemy stronghold. And if you truly, truly love them, then I know when you get to heaven, you want them to be there. Now, I don't have nothing to do with it if you walk them by them because you don't want them to come because you don't want to see them when you get there. <laughs> we got to get that in another sermon. We need, we need to pray for you. That's what we need to do. We need to pray for you. If you're with somebody, you don't want them to be in heaven, then we need to pray for you. Something ain't, something ain't right. So we just need to pray for you that y'all get that situation worked out. But these people, these new Christians, when they started out, they were on fire for God. They were willing to do whatever it took. But the Bible informed us as a Christian that we suppose we all supposed to be doing that. I think what has you know, I'm not going to knock 8 o'clock service, but if you coming, and the only reason you coming is because you want to limit the amount of time you're there, when you think about all that God has done for you and done for your family, that's the only knock I have against. If you coming strictly strictly for the time slot. I can get in and get out. But I don't know about you, but I need a whole lot of God to get me through each and every week. Now, you might not have no problems. Or everything might be going all right with you. It might not be, you know, everything might be rosy in your life, but The more problems, the more God you need. The more troubles, the more God you need. The more weaknesses you have, the more God you need. 
the more that you feel yourself falling and slipping and don't know how you're going to make it through the week, you need to be here. When you come here and get filled up, then you're able to go back into that stronghold and you are able to tell them that God is who we claim him to be. But then, like I said, it's not just something that's optional because Matthew 23, 35, and 36, it tells us what we're supposed to do. It says, for I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. These are all jobs that the Christian is supposed to do. So I want to know again, who is willing to put in some overtime for God? Sunday should not make you content with your worship to him, especially when he has took care of you all week long. And then when we look at our different situations that we have been through, we just have to look back and see, even if you're unsaved, the reason you are still here, I don't care what you try to come up with, but the main reason you are still here is because God has left you here. So to the unsaved, you still here because of God's mercy. To the Christian, we still here because of his grace. Now see, the one advantage that the Christian has over you because we have accepted him, we got Jesus in our life, we got the Holy Spirit, so it allows us to overcome some things that might otherwise would drive the unsaved individual insane. But because we belong to a God who has promised to give us a peace that passes all understanding, we are able to survive in some of the most difficult situations, not of our own ability, but because God has allowed it. And like I said, in this, you know, Paul covered so much so quickly. Do you know that anything that you are putting before God, then that's what is God to you. If it's your time, if it's some individual, if it's circumstances. And like I said, when we look around and at all the things that go on, I mean, I look at all of these children that we have in the church. Them Sundays that the children sing, the choir stand ought to be as full as when the mass choir sing. Seems like to me, we get our kids and everything but the church. We want them to be cheerleaders. We want them to be sports stars so we can sit back and cross our feet when they make it big. We want them to be little ballerinas. <laughs> but the most important thing that you ought to want your child to be is a Christian. Next Sunday, it's the fifth Sunday, it's Youth and Young Adult Sunday. <laughs> Pastor talks about it all the time, how other churches marvel at the mixture of people that we have, from babies up into senior citizens. If God has been good to you, and I'm talking to you young adults now, I don't care if everybody in the choir don't like you. 
I don't care if you don't like everybody in the choir. But because of what God has done for you, every single one of you young adults need to be up there giving God praise, thanking him. It should never be. I mean, that, I, mean I, I understand that we do Youth and Young Adult Day and everybody wants to come in. This should be something that you do all of the time because God has been good to you all of the time. If you are a young mother and you're out there struggling and God has helped you make it from week to week, even though you come in here with a smile on your face and you know that the only way you made it is because God has kept you and made you, gave you an opportunity to provide for your child one more time, on Youth and Young Adult Sunday, you need to be up here. And don't worry about, I don't like them and I, they don't like me and they can't sing and they sing all the time. Put all of that mess aside <laughs> and say, I'm going to get up there and sing because of what he has done for me. If you got a job to go to, you might not like the job, but you need to come in here and, and thank God for the little bit that he done gave you and his and he's allowing you still to make it. He's allowing your bills to get paid every week. See, if we would just, you know, forget about everything else that goes in the church and just examine what God has done for you, not nobody else, just look back and see what he has done for you. I mean, now it got so bad, every week now it seems like somebody's child is accidentally getting shot in gunfire. Now, we're not even talking about the intentional. I'm talking about the accidental. So if your child is still here, even though they might get on your nerves or they might have interrupted your plans, you can't go out every Friday now like you used to, the fact that they still here ought to give you enough to come and thank God. And to the young ones that's trying by themselves because, you know, somebody's not helping them, if God is helping you, you got all the help you need. So, you know, we just need to look at all of the excuses that we make for not serving God. And I just come by to tell you today that in Christianity, there is no such thing as a bench member. <laughs> we made that term up. <laughs> it is no such thing as a bench member in the church. If we all one body and we all got a part to play, there is something in the church that you can do. And for the new members, I know that, uh, I know that old members make it hard on you. I'm not going to. If you come and you go to work right away, they say you're a holy roly. <laughs> Or you get a job and they've been there all this time and nobody ain't never asked them to do nothing because they act like they don't want to do nothing, then you do it. Then they lip is stuck out like, she just got here. <laughs> he just got here, how he get to do that? You been here for 15, 20, 25, 30 years. Every time they ask you to do something, you didn't either want to do it or you, you come up with an excuse why you couldn't do it. But if somebody else is want to get out and be glad and be thankful for what God has done for them, you ought not knock them. 
Because if somebody comes to the church later than you, you don't know what they've been through. And they might have already made up their mind that I don't care what nobody at the church do. When I get there on Sunday, I am going to praise him. I'm going to be used in his service because he has been good to me. We all have shortcomings. We all still fall. But God has continually looked beyond everything that we have done, everything that we have said, everything that we have thought, and he continues to allow you to wake up each and every day and if there's no other reason, that's reason enough right there. For in 28 it says, in him we live and move and have our being. Now, if you don't believe that, you can just go to the Bible and it will let you know that God has been there all along, whether you have accepted him or not. Because Psalms 24 and 1 informed us, if you thank the little bitty, the little house that you got, or the little apartment that you got, or wherever you at that you got, if you think it's yours, and you think you're doing something, or you know, you all that because you got the condo, the Bible that I read says, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, get this part, the world, and they that dwell therein. You don't have nothing <laughs> that if God, he don't have to turn his back all the way. If he just turned to the side, you can lose everything you got. Wake up one morning in your condo or your fancy apartment or your big house. Wake up one morning and God decides not to let you see. <laughs> Wake up one morning and God decide not to let you walk. <laughs> For a chatterbox like me, wake up one morning and can't talk. <laughs> wake up one morning and can't move. Well, you might not know about it, but one morning let someone of your loved ones go shake and you don't wake up. <laughs> Then whatever you got, somebody else going to have it. <laughs> or either it might be somebody you don't even like might get it. Somebody else going to be sitting on the couch where you used to sit. Somebody else going to have their legs crossed up under your dinner table with your wife. Or you. Somebody else going to be looking at that TV that you sweated and bought for. So we need to get our priorities right and realize that God has gave us everything. But then the bad part about that, and this is just to the unsaved, the bad part about that is if you be living so luxurious now, don't want to recognize God, don't want to accept God, don't want to give God no credit for nothing you got. I feel sorry for you because you ain't going to like hell too good. <laughs> All of that fancy living you've been doing and now you're going to be down there tormented day and night. You ain't going to have no air conditioning. <laughs> So you just need to think about God has so much that he is trying to give you. And like I said, Christians go through problems. Don't think they don't. But the only difference that the Christian has is they got somebody that will keep them in their problems. I don't know a Christian in here that hasn't had some kind of problem that they never thought that they would have to go through 
but they look back now and they see, I know it was nobody but God. And again, this ties in with what Paul had to say. You know, God, is, he's, not, he's not accepting ignorance anymore. He's not going to let us say that we don't know about him. And even if you're unsaved, don't tell me you don't know about God. Because I know every child, even if you wasn't brought up in a Christian home, the first little prayer you heard when you went to sleep was, Lord, lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now, as a child, you ain't even accepted God, but you are asking him to accept your soul. Now, the bad part about that, like I said, he's going to accept your soul regardless or not, but you want to make sure your soul winds up in the right place. You might not never go to church, but when your children eat, you make them pray for their stuff. So that's telling me that you know somebody is in charge. You can pretend like, I don't know God. But we all know him. He is not, as Paul stated, he is not going to accept ignorance as an excuse. And then just so that we would not be able to use the excuse he started out in Genesis and let us know, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It's a stated fact. Amen. Then in Revelation, let us know he got it all covered from the beginning to the end. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come. Then he ended up so that you wouldn't, you know, take him lightly so you would know who he was the almighty <laughs> and that's who he is he is the almighty and then if you think you're getting by or you know God's not watching what you do the Bible lets us know that God lets the sun shine on the just <laughs> as well as the unjust when it rained on me, it rained on you. But you might want to get in that number, that knowing. Then the final thing that he covered in there is the part that, you know, I think that we look overlook a lot is that he has fixed a day when he's going to judge each and every one of us. I think a lot about that story where the rich man died and poor little Lazarus that didn't have nothing, was eating the crumbs. He wound up in the bosom of Abraham, and the rich man wound up in hell. See, these are glimpses that God gives us that the resurrection is true. <laughs> and the rich man, he didn't want a whole glass of water. He just wanted poor little broke down, didn't have nothing Lazarus to touch the tip of his tongue to take some of this torment away from him. But then the other part that, uh, that I think we overlook in the story a lot is after he found out that hell was a reality, then he wanted to go back. All the time that you were here, God has given you an opportunity to meet him. He wanted to go back and warn the rest of his family members. That hell thing is for real. But the same response that he got, the same response that, you know, God is going to give anybody else. You had so many opportunities to meet him, and you missed him. They used to sing that song, you know, I'm not worried about, if my soul is lost, it's nobody's fault but mine. And that's a true story because you have so many opportunities that you can get to meet God. And then the last point that I want to make is we have the wrong impression of what is going to take place when we get saved. And now I'm talking to the saved mainly. God 
sins, everything in our lives. Some of it we don't like. Some of it is hard to take. But the only thing that can keep you going is that God is there all along. <laughs> See, we think that we not going to have any trials. And you, but you know what happens in our lives is God can pick anybody he wants. And he can tell. He can tell. Satan, the same thing he told him about his servant Job. He can say, have you considered my servant Terry? And he can send whatever trouble he wants to send away. But he knows that if he sends it, he's going to keep her in it. And see, I, I, I think we get disillusioned because we want to we read the the stories in the Bible that tells about all of the good things that happen to Christians. But we overlook all of the terrible things that Christians went through before you. John 14 and 33, it says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In this world ye shall have tribulations. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Romans 12 and 12, he says, rejoicing in all hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. First Peter, the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes though it be tried with fire, might be found unto his praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus. But our biggest problem is, I don't think we have got to the point that we can be as, as the writer of Philippians 4 and 11 was. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, all these scriptures letting you know that, you know, God's going to send some trouble, but he will be there all along. See, anything he sends your way, he knows that you can take it. You can't take it in your own strength, but you can take it in his. Now, I think if Christians were to get more like Philippians 3 and 8, when trouble comes their way, they'll be able to take it and they wouldn't quit the church because they think God went back on his word or the church didn't, or the church didn't do what they thought the church was going to do. Say, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of his knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. For when I have suffered the loss of all things and I do count them but dumb that I may win Christ. And that means they're not worrying about whatever comes their way. It's not important as long as they got Christ. And that's what we need if we're going to make it. And then to the unsaved, he left these words for you. If you're wondering why you're still here, you think about all the bad circumstances that you've been through, all the ups and downs that you had, you, all the trials and tribulations that came in your life, do you know that the Lord that we serve does not want you to perish? First Peter 3 and 9 informed us of that. said, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I know you've been down for a long time. A lot of things ain't went the way that you wanted them to go. You might have lost some jobs. You might have had a broke up marriage. You might have had some terrible things that happened to you or some of your family members. But God has left you here, giving you another opportunity to meet him. And we that know him, because we know him, we ought to use all of our time to make sure somebody else knows him. See, we should not be content if we got one family member that does not know God. We should not be content if our children and our grandchildren do not know God. Sometimes you have to say it even if you think nobody's listening to it. If you love your child, you ought not worry about how many times your child tells you or gets tired of you telling them that they need to find God. When your family members have their gatherings, you ought to be willing to tell them that God is waiting on them. You need to make sure that everyone in your household knows God. Don't just be content with the fact that you accepted him and that you know that he has confirmed what he did by sending his son to go to the cross, go to a grave, but he got up so that each one of us would have a, a right to the tree of life. Now, before I take my seat, I just want to give you these little words of encouragement. I want to tell you right now, if you're out there, Kelly Rowland don't need to be your motivation. I don't care who she get to remix the song with her. She ought not be your motivation. Popping bottles in the club ain't going to do nothing for you when you're burdened down. Lil Wayne, Kanye West, Jay-Z, Beyonce, Drake, don't none of them care about you. You can keep hurting yourself, sending yourself through a lot of unnecessary problems, trying to love, meet some Mr. Wrong. But if you really want to know what you need to do, if you want some motivation, try some James Fortune. I believe. Then you have to say, I believe is already done. The second CD on there says, I will bounce back. See, sometimes you're going to get knocked down. But you got to be able to bounce back. Another song on that CD says, I wouldn't know him like I do if I hadn't been through what I've been through. It says, Lord, I'm thankful for all that I've been through because I wouldn't know you like I do. And then he ended it up for the Christian and even the unsaved. You know what? A lot of times we do the same thing over and over and over. The same sin causes us to fall. You know, he got a song on there that says, Encore. 
Lord, I need you to do an encore in my life. He says, fix it again. Restore me again. Come see about me again. I done made the same mistake over and over again, but Lord, I need you to do an encore in my life. And like I said, instead of all that getting all hung up and getting mistreated by that Mr. Wrong, let me tell you something that you need to find. Maybe you need to put it out. I'm going to put some money in your pocket now. Find Teresa Terry. Forget about Mr. Wrong. You want to find you some being in love with Jesus. Find that. So you find you some of that. You find you some of that. You got everything that you need. Now, if you're out there today and you've been going through trials and tribulations, Christian or non-Christian, I just want you to know that God has been there all along. If you don't think it, all you got to do is look in his word. Isaac, way back in Genesis, he took Isaac to be sacrificed. And the servants was worried about where the sacrifice was. But he had enough faith to know that even if he killed Isaac, God was there all along and he would replace him. He said that even before he even found the ram in the bush. See, some of us wouldn't have went to the lion's den. Because see, we don't have that faith like Daniel had. But Daniel went in the lion's den because he already was praying to God three times a day. So he knew that his relationship with God was all right. The three Hebrew boys, they weren't worried about the fiery furnace, for they knew that if they trusted in God, that God was going to be right there in the midst of the fire. So I just came to tell you this morning, whatever you're going through, God has been there all along. Some of you had had some tragedies that come in your life, but God has been there all along. You don't know how you made it this morning, but God has been there all along. You may have been up, you may have been down, but God has been there all along. You just need to know for yourself that no matter what comes my way, for he told us in his word that I will never leave you nor forsake you, that lets me know that he has been there all along. So I just would encourage the Christian, get out and do some overtime for God. Because he has been good to you, not because you're saved, your salvation is already took care of, but because God has been there all along for you, why don't you get out and do something for him? Then for the unsaved that have been here, God has left you here. It might not be the day, but it might, well, hopefully it is. This might have been the day that God intended for you to meet him. But in spite of all of the things that you've been through, your good times, your bad times, your ups, your downs, your heartaches, your heartbreaks, your disappointments, everything, he has been there all along. And he will continue to be there for you. So if you're here today and... You don't know him. I invite you to come meet him because he has been there all along. No matter what trials have come your way, he's been there all along. Some Christians can look back and say, took the words right out of my mouth. You can look back and wonder how you got over. But I want you to know you got over because he wanted you to make it over. So as we open the doors of the church today, if it's somebody that doesn't know God or somebody that wants to make a commitment to do more for God or somebody that just wants you prayer so that God will help them to try to step out and do more for God, we invite you to come today. Because God has been there all along in each of our lives.